0: everyone I hope this finds you well. My name is Jolene, and I'm going to be carrying on in the um, series in Kings. Um, Rolls and Brad kicked it off, and we are going to be looking today at One Kings chapter three and verse four. And as I was preparing to film in our kitchen, um, I had a laugh to myself because my husband and I are doing a marriage course at the moment, and um, I just spotted the trend was when this was filmed, uh, the marriage course that is, um, that they made everything the studios look like home. And now we're doing the opposite and trying to make our homes look like studios so that we can never be happy. So my decision is to just leave everything as is. And if you see a little bit of mess, so be it. We can't have it all, can we? Um, So I'm going to be carrying on in the series and um, One Kings just has so many beautiful nuggets um, in between a lot of quite crazy goings on and we're going to be looking at, at some of those. Now, Sadly, when we look at the life of Solomon, and that's who we're going to be looking at today, um, we see in his life some highs and lows. We see the best of and the worst of. And I think just to even start there, um, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you some things that happen later in Kings. But Solomon doesn't have it all together and he doesn't apply all his leadership wisdom that he has um, in his later life and to his personal life. And already before we start, I go, what a brilliant lesson. Um, when we look at Solomon's life as a leader, we can take home that that message already that we need to be authentic, that we need to practice what we preach. We can't say one thing and do another. And if you are a Christian, you know and love God, you are in a position of leadership And I call you today as leaders to listen and learn from Solomon. Um, God calls us the priesthood of all believers. Um, We are Christ ambassadors. We are, you know, we are his children. And we are all about doing God's work and leading people to Christ. And so as we go about the job of a leader, we can learn from, from Solomon. And so I just want to read and start with a scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 1. And it says this. And of, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an and and an apostle, um, apostle and a teacher. Sorry, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. I'm making my font bigger here because I don't have my glasses on. Um, that is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me, keep as a pattern or sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And what a beautiful call from um, from the book of from the book of Timothy. Just as leaders, let's guard and protect what God has done in us. And He calls us as these leaders to come and listen. And, and protect what God has done in us because it is so, so precious. And sometimes I think we forget how precious this message is. I know Solomon in his life forgot how precious this message is, and that seems like a conclusion to a preach, but we're going to get started. And as we look at his life, we're going to look at the first verse and see how Solomon starts out. And, um, and in chapter 3, it says, in verse 1, it says this, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh king of Egypt and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. And you think that's an amazing way to treat your enemies. What's the best way? Marry their daughters. (laughs) But that was, it was an interesting and, and kind of legal way of doing things back in the day. Technically Solomon was right and probably quite smart in doing that. He was securing a good relationship um, with a powerful nation. And that's what marriage often was in those days. But was it pleasing to God and was it right before God? And we'd have to say no. And that's not just me guessing. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, let's look at what he has to say when he rebukes the Israelites and he uses Solomon as an example. Nehemiah chapter 13, 25. You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor you to take their daughters in a marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you are doing all these terrible wickedness, all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? So when you see it like that, Nehemiah actually puts the label on of being unfaithful to God. So Solomon's act wasn't just a vague, clever move. It was actually a sign of unfaithfulness to God and, and, and disobeying what God had commanded them to do. If you look at the book of 1 Kings chapter 11, and sorry, because we're going to be doing it a bit later, so it's a bit of, a, once again, a spoiler alert, but let's read and see what actually happens here. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, the one he started with, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss poem. Um, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his of David his father had been. And you could argue that that these are powerless women. And it's interesting because um, Solomon's first marriage that gets mentioned in, in this portion is one to an Egyptian. And isn't that where the Israelites had come from? They'd come from slavery, they'd come from being the Egyptians kind of slaves and their people. And now he goes, so obviously there was this historic fear and that's why it would have seemed like a wise movie. He might have got praised for it. Yet he gets enslaved to his wives and multiple wives after that. And you think, well, he's a strong man and these women were just his possessions. But look at the influence that they exerted on the wisest man in the world. He became a fool um, through them. And if you look um, at at 2 Samuel, you'll see that David himself also married a foreign woman that gets mentioned here. Um, Some say that that the deal often was that they would need to convert. Um, But this definitely wasn't the case with with Solomon. And, And the influence that they seemed to have over him was completely different, as David seemed to remain a man after God's own heart. So the first thing I want to suggest to you through these scriptures and the first kind of nugget of gold that we can take from it is that what seems right to us and what seems like a good and pleasing idea is not always God's best for us. And God needs to be honored and put first in our lives. The, the more I love life, the more I realize God really does care about the little things. I always used to feel a bit wrapped on the knuckles because I, I remember like pastors would say like, God doesn't care about where you park and he doesn't. And, you know, don't worry him with the, the little things, but actually um I don't pray about parking, but I do I do pray about a lot of other small things because God cares about the intimate details of our life and we need to go and ask of him and, and pursue his heart. That is the joy um of, of being in a relationship with a loving father. And <clears throat> I would think the same that imagine if my kids didn't bang me with the silly things and the small things and the trivial things like I want to hear everything from their heart. And that's the same with God. He wants to hear our hearts. He wants to be involved in every detail. And so Proverbs 14, if only Solomon had taken his own advice here, um, there is a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. The faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good rewarded for theirs. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil. But a fool is hard hot headed and yet feels secure. Let's not feel secure in the kingdoms that we've built for ourselves when we haven't included God, and we, we feel like we are our kings and queens of our own kingdoms. Let's include God every step of the way. Next, we look at verse 2 to 4. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord. This is Solomon's highs um, By walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. And now we hit the low. Except... That he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on in the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And if you read in two Chronicles a little bit more about this event, you'll see that it was almost like his his um, ceremonial beginning, as he takes pe- many people get to witness it. He does a thousand lavish sacrifices, and it seems like God does honor it because God speaks to him after that. And in those days, um, before the temple had been built, there was seems to be this allowance um, for some of the high places to become places of worship when they were consecrated to the God big G of all gods. And so the tabernacle was here and um, this is where he he did his worship. We also see that Samuel um, blessed sacrifices there. And so there seems to be this allowance and grace over that period, which actually made me think about how we're doing church. And I just pray that there's a grace over this. And one day we'll be called back to worship and corporate worship, which will be very important. Um, but same for them. Then when once the temple had been built, there was this new mandate to worship together as a community. Of believers. And, and the high places was no longer the place. And that was Solomon's downfall, um, is that in that day, he then continued with old practices and later on in his life. And I told you earlier why those wives of his became the problem again. And I'm going to read to you um, from verse 5, because I've read up to, um, from 1 Kings chapter 11, I read up to verse 4, so I'm going to read from verse 5. And it says, he follows, he followed, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, And for Moloch, the detestable God of the Ammonites. Isn't it so sad to hear that word detestable? He did the same for all his foreign wives who burnt incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And, you know, I've never thought too much about those scriptures. And, um, you know, I kind of realized it wasn't a pleasing thing to God, but I didn't realize how seriously Solomon had actually disobeyed God and how much he actually lost the plot until I read um, this interesting, and I want to read it to you, a quote from this book by Nancy Guthrie. She's a theologian that writes on it in, in her book. It's called The Son of David. Um she writes this perhaps this doesn't shock us because we don't really understand what is meant for Solomon to go after these gods. We don't have any mental pictures. Ashtoreth was the Canaanite' goddess of sensual love and fertility. To go after this god meant that Solomon likely went to the high places to have sexual relations out in the open with temple prostitutes. Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, was worshipped through child sacrifice. So we have to assume that perhaps Solomon lowered himself to throwing one of his children into the fire to appease the false gods out of desperation to please some of some Ammonite wife. And you might think, well, perhaps, and we don't know for certain and we don't, but either way, we know it was detestable. And what happened there involved child sacrifice and and sex and just things that were immoral in God's eyes. And detestable. And that is so incredibly sad. How did a man who in those days to hear God's voice twice is, was so significant? God had spoken to him. He'd earmarked this family line. Solomon had been given the gift of wisdom, yet he, he, his life is downgraded to pure foolishness. And if you read here, you read why God commanded in Deuteronomy 12, He says this, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their name from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. And there's something very dangerous here, and it's called syncretism. And that is basically it's taking elements of culture that seem pleasing to us and including them in our faith. And that is exactly what Solomon did. He he had this belief in God, yet he took elements that were pleasing to him, pleasing to his wives, and it was his downfall. And I was thinking, what is syncretism of our day? We can look in, in Africa, in South Africa, and we all go, well, yes, it's, it's you know, it's Christians who follow African traditional, you know, um, kind of rituals that, that aren't of God. And we can point fingers. But I look in this society of ours, in this, this affluent suburb that we live in, and I go, the are different gods that we're including into our worship, aren't there? And I just jotted down a few and and you know I think the main and the most obvious ones are our love of self. Are we including that into our into our worship, just things that please me, things that need to be done my way, and we don't think about the way we honour God. That love of self is so big nowadays. It's crazy that that social media, especially things like Instagram, are fulfilling that prophecy that in the last days people will be lovers of themselves. You just have to scroll through it and just see how how people are putting themselves out there and there's there's no self-esteem issues that are apparent. And um and just so sad. I was thinking that everyone everyone wants to be heard. You want to be like an influencer, have your own blog. Everyone wants to be listened to, but no one wants to listen. We're all glorifying ourselves in what we have to say, but we've lost the art of listening. And sadly, that with that, we'll lose the art of listening to God. Another thing that we can include in our worship is money. And just saying, well, you know, it's okay as long as you tithe. And when money has become another God in our lives, we can't serve God and money. And then the other is, is knowledge and influence. That we feel that if we've just gained another degree, if we've read another book, if we, we can engage in certain conversations, that that is something that we elevate. And people can have such clever discussions about God and we can all sit in, in groups at dinner parties and life groups in church and we can have these great discussions. If the spirit isn't there, we have turned the knowledge of God, the head knowledge, into our own form of worship when God actually just wants our hearts. Isn't that what he wanted from Solomon and David? A man after God's own heart. And we don't offer it. as Lewis said this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. And isn't that so true? So our nugget there is that we need to Avoid the syncretism that is a temptation in our culture. What elements are you taking that you think? Well, you know, I've loved doing church at the beach, <laughs> but you know what? It's not church. That's Christian community. We weren't breaking bread. We we weren't sharing the gospel. We weren't gathering around God's word. We weren't praying. That's not church, guys. And so there comes a time, and I really feel like you know pastors are saying, well, when church starts again, we don't know what it's going to look like, and who's going to come back. I hope it can. It's everyone um, because our delight is in God and gathering around His word and communion and the breaking of bread. And plus, added to that is that we've learned how to do community out of the church doors and to really love each other. But let's read this John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. If you love God, you will keep his commands. You have him to guide you, but are you following him and his ways? What a beautiful nugget that we learn from from Solomon's ways. Then moving on. At Gideon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You continued this great kindness to him and gave him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David but I'm only a little child. Now he wasn't actually a child, but he felt like it. And he was still wet behind the ears. And, um, and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, so God said to him, "Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, for yourself, nor have you asked for the um, for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked, and I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never be, have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be." Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realised it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast. For all his courts, and the beautiful thing here is that um, if you look at the original Hebrew, what he actually—the words are closer to "Give me a hearing heart, Lord." And so, the kind of wisdom Solomon was looking for wasn't uh, wasn't book smart. And I'm sure he would have had access to the best knowledge that the world had to offer in that time. Being um, a, a king, he would have had the wise men around him, the people, the knowledge, the the, anything he needed would have been at his fingertips. So the wisdom he's asking for looks a little bit different to, to what we might think by the world's standards. He wanted a heart to hear, to administer justice, to do what's best and God's best for the people. Um, when you look at, at, at wisdom, the world loves the wisdom where we can all sit and have these great smart little conversations. When Paul goes to Athens in in Acts chapter 17, he says to them, um, he says all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It did them absolutely no good. Yes, the the Greeks bought the democracy and the philosophy and and medicine and all the things in a day that we still think make you quite smart. Yet it means nothing. They hadn't found God, and look at look at the kind of the society that's been left behind. There's no legacy of godliness, and it's the same today. We can sit and talk about all the great wisdom that the world has to offer. It's not what Solomon was after. He was after hearing God's voice and having a hearing heart to hear what the people had to what the people needed. And so he would go before God and he would ask God and God would help him. And it's almost like they started this beautiful partnership where Solomon was the leader, but God was king. If you look at 1 Corinthians, it says this um, in 1 uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Kind of seems like we're in that era at the moment, if you think about it, where all the knowledge in the world, no one can predict what's happening right now. No one can predict um, the curves and the, because we are so clueless, it's actually like our knowledge is being destroyed before our eyes. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. So we see there that godly wisdom isn't about accumulating worldly knowledge. It's about living life well the way God intended it, the best way to live. The Bible talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and all the other things will be added. And David, Solomon's father, was a man known to be a man after God's own heart. And David lived life well. He had his curveballs, he had his mistakes. But at the end, what he was known for was being a man after God's own heart and so what can we take from from this experience of Solomon where he got to ask God for just about anything? And I always thought that that wisdom was the right answer. But I've actually been wondering now that maybe if he had asked for the exact same thing, he's, the, the heart that his father had after God, maybe he kind of would have been in the game a bit longer and finished strong. Maybe wisdom would have been added as a byproduct. Who knows? I don't know. That's just a wondering. But um, but as we look at it, God has actually given us some promises. He actually has almost given us that, because I always think, well, what if I had this kind of blank check that, that God just said, give me, you know, I'll give you whatever you want. And and that thought kind of excites me, what? what would I ask God for? And then that realization that actually God has given us that. Let's look at these scriptures, these three short verses that say, Matthew 7 verse 7 it says, ask and it will be given. You seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. And then in John 15 verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, in 1 John 5 verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That is exciting stuff that God has given us these amazing promises, and we stand like Solomon before him going, God, I want you to do this. I need my heart to connect. And in fact, we've even have the, the benefit again of learning from Solomon's mistake and knowing that we need to push into God and our heart needs to line up with his and we, we start praying his will into being. And he says, you can ask me anything then. And so we can stand hand in hand with our father in this beautiful, exciting relationship. What a power we have as believers, as children of God. So we see that Solomon has been given this beautiful answer to his prayers. And we see it demonstrated in a in a in an event that happens in the next few verses about two women that come to Solomon. And um it's quite a well-known story. If you haven't read it, go and read it. It's an account of how um he administers justice, and it's the first account that that happens after he's been given godly wisdom, and you just see the smartest solution to what was a a diabolical situation. And from that, people are in awe of what he has done. God has really given him this gift to lead people, this listening, this hearing heart. And you'll see later that that Solomon does have a lot of worldly wisdom too, and and knowledge about things that also draws people in. And so what he was saying um, was, was something that attracted people too. But this is really the heart of it. In verse 28, it says, When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. And the question here, I guess, in the in the golden nugget, is that what do, are, you, are your talents and gifts? Is what God has put in you, leading others to God? Is it leaving them in awe and and getting them to question who God is? Is it pointing them? to to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, because that is why God has put these beautiful things in us. And we have something to offer. You might not be the wisest person. You might not feel like you have that hearing heart, but God has put things in you that can be used in the kingdom. And we are part of that kingdom. Then we move on and we look at Solomon's provisions and we're running out of time. So I can't read all these verses, but I do want to just highlight because there was an insane insane amount of food needed to to keep Solomon's huge household alive. And you just see the provision that it took um, to to keep just his thriving household. Solomon's daily provision was 30 cores of the finest flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle. 20 of pasture-fed cattle and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks and choice fowl. And then it just speaks about how um, the people there lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And there it really points to um, how just in in that day there was this abundance. Everyone under their own vine and their own fig tree, they had safety, they were prospering, they had security. And so even Solomon himself had abundance for his family. Um, But every person enjoyed it. It must have been... Possibly, I wouldn't say an exquisite time to live, but really something amazing to witness is this this nation of people who had been slaves, if you can contrast it, to the abundance that they now enjoy. Solomon would have been greatly praised as a man. And many people were attracted to this. Um, and then verse 29 says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as a sand on the seashores. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people in the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. And it speaks about all the things that he kind of knew things about. Now, the amazing thing when we look at all this abundance is that when it's mentioned in another place in the Bible, it almost speaks as it, it diminishes it and compares God's abundance that he offers us um, and, and, and to, to Solomon's. And, and his, Solomon's kind of pales in comparison So let's end as we as we read this and kind of take this final um, nugget is that we we can't compare God's provision to man's provision. Look at Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And this just points to that that place of perfect provision. And the place of perfect provision is when God is clothing you. And he points to the plants, the flowers, and just how how a plant is so perfectly clothed and all the clothes that it has is the clothes that God offers. And isn't that true of the plant and animal kingdom? All they all they have and bring into this world is 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 what they need um for their life. And and the scripture just points to that that God is the perfect provider. It's hard to believe that in this time where we live in a we're living in a time of worry. But I think that's a perfect place to land this. And and my challenge to you is that you need to challenge yourself through that scripture. I don't know where you find yourself in this journey. I don't know what has stood out to you. So I'm going to say that it's your time to hear from God. It's your time to seek God's heart. What is God telling you? What does he want to do in you, in your life? And isn't that the the beautiful uniqueness of God's kingdom is he's doing something different with all of us right now. So my challenge is, as I close, uh, my final nugget is go and seek God for yourself. It would would kind of defeat the object if if I kind of told you what God wanted to do in you. Go and seek God. Seek first his kingdom and all these beautiful things will be added to you. Let's pray. Lord, today I am I'm praying for our church. I'm praying for each member. I'm praying for people that I know and people that I don't know, Lord. I'm praying for your perfect provision. Lord, place in us exactly what we need, Lord. Do in us exactly what we need. Lord, we want to surrender our lives. We want to learn from the life of Solomon who who had such abundant blessing from you yet messed up, Lord. We don't want to live our lives in that way. We want to be people who live in your kingdom as children of God, powerful people knowing our place in the kingdom. Lord, we want to live lives that honour you. Lord, we want you to work in us, so come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come and fill and equip us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, may we have wise and discerning hearts, but may we have hearts that long after you. May we seek to please you and live our life for you. Lord, you are worthy of every praise. You are worthy of our lives. What is man that you are mindful of us? Yet you choose to enter into a love relationship with us. Lord, may we respond in love. Show us exactly what it is that you need to do in us. And may we not hold back when it comes to obedience. In your name, amen.